Welcome to Dead Headspace, a part of Silver Shamrock's Horrorcast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead, where we exhume classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Bren LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And today we're talking with the author of the Nightmare Lane Chronicles, Daniel Barnett. Say hi, Daniel. Hey, everyone. And uh, let's just get to it, man. What got you into horror? Uh, my, my answer to this is woefully cliche. It was uh, Stephen King. First, he traumatized me with the stand in middle school so bad that I had to uh, hide the book from myself in cupboards. It didn't work. <laughs> and then I revisited him in high school with it, and it was game over after that for me. I had always been a big reader, but something about... Something about his voice. Stories. So, so you read The Stand in middle school? Was that yeah, the... that jumped out to me, too. <laughs> yeah, it was a bad decision. A <laughs> did, bad you, decision. did you read the uncut version where it's like another 400 pages? Yes, you know, and not to jump off on this tangent too soon, but I actually prefer the... I've read both the original version and the uncut version, and I and I far and away prefer the original version. It's my favorite book ever. Um, thought that the uncut book isn't special, but uh, the uncut was what I read in middle school, and it does feature that particularly nasty motel room scene, which did things to my young brain that <laughs> wish shouldn't have been done. <laughs> I've got a lot of thoughts there. Now, I, 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 Pat, I don't know about you, but when, when that jumped out to me, it was not even so much because of the content. It was because I don't think I was capable of reading a 1,200-page yep. book when I was in middle school. Same here, um, man. E- even oh, it yeah. would have been a little stretch in high school. It's pretty easy when you don't have friends. Oh, <laughs> man, come on. That's a downer. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I your friends. <laughs> but uh, I was definitely... I was definitely like a reader before anything else through like for a long time, like a long period of my childhood. I remember like reading The Hobbit in elementary school. My mom was a teacher there and she had to come take the book away from me at recess and make me play with other kids because I was just like, no, nah, I want to read The Hobbit. Like, leave me, you know, like I'm good. She's like, no, you have, you have to socialize. <laughs> so, I love The Hobbit. Um, it kind of continued through that. You know, I liked challenging myself, and I, I was, I mean, I, I read, like, a Hardy Boy book a day, probably through, like, third and fourth grade or something. I remember reading Oliver Twist in third grade and, like, Great Expectations in fourth grade. I don't really know how much of it I understood, but, like, a, like a decent amount. I passed the AR tests. Do you guys know AR? What's AR? Is any bell? Accelerated Reader Program. You'd, like, take these little, like, you take these little tests on the computer. Anyway. Um, yeah, middle school rolled around, and um, I, I've, there was some, there was something, and I and I use it as an excuse to try Stephen King because my grandpa's a big Stephen King fan, and I mistakenly thought that hey, the stand wouldn't be as scary as it because it didn't have any you know scary fucking clowns in it. So it turned out to be so much worse um, because of like the thematic material that it explored, but. Uh, but hey, that's my story. <laughs> <laughs> now, as far as your point of, I've actually never read the uh, the original version of The Stand. I've been through the, un- I think I only own the uncut version, if I'm honest. Um, 
I, I'm going to have to get to that someday, but I, you know, I, I, I'm a huge Stephen King fan, and I certainly wouldn't argue with anyone who said that he could benefit from an editor once in a while. It's cool <laughs> to have that extra stuff in there, but at the same time, there's a there's going to be a reason why that was originally 800 instead of 1200. Yeah. You know, the, the fascinating thing about it, and I can't take, I can't claim all the credit for this. There was somebody that ran like a Google doc at one point and he was breaking down like differences, like almost line by line, chapter by chapter. And he made it like two thirds of the way through both books. Um, and I remember reading that and uh, the differences run so, so much deeper than just like extra content versus like more or less there's a lot of tonal changes he wrote the he rewrote the book to um be set in the 90s but like it's still a 70s book because it's all about like post-cold war angst over like nuclear weapons and things like that but not only that like the, the tone of the tone of the uncut version is a, like it's more 90s king where it's like takes itself a little less seriously and it's like a little like like um it's a little meaner you know like a little more disparaging of its characters in places um i think the the truest testament to that is in the original scene in the original there is this absolutely beautiful scene uh that characterized fran so well from the beginning where she buries her father probably remember that from the uncut version as well but what you don't know if you haven't read the original is that in the original there's this like some of the most beautiful writing Stephen King has put down with wordplay she's standing there in shock and she's thinking about sunbeams and like like the motes in your eye from like a biblical phrase and she's doing it. There's all this word stream of conscious wordplay all kind of revolving around uh, it being a warm summer day and her dad being dead upstairs she's so in shock that she can't get to the conclusion of what she needs to do in like a normal linear human kind of way or like well i mean it is a very human thing that's happening here but like in a normal linear way and it ta- it's just this like elegant wordplay before she arrives at this like very simple conclusion that hey it's warm upstairs my dad's dead and he's gonna start to stink i have to do something about it and in the original version fran just like affords him the dignity he deserves without a fuss she just like changes him into his like navy uniform and buries him and it's this like simple elegant understated scene and then in the uncut version all of that gets swapped for like corpse farts and like (laughs) just like fran being like ew icky dad's dead and i have to see him naked gross fart you know like and then she does it and it's just it just undermined her character so much but there's a lot of little things like that throughout the book it's not just that like it's almost like stephen king and the editor like viciously edited this draft right and then that 780 page lean fast like but thoughtful beautiful novel was put out but then when he went to add old contact back in content back in he went to an older draft and revised that instead of taking the 780 pages and just adding con- adding the missing content onto it so there's there's places where it's like 
the, the writing was clearly like more polished in the original and mm. in, in, in places. In any case, I mean, I can harp on about that forever. I, I love, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it's good to know though. I mean, I, I've got so many things that I want to read that I need to read coming up. And now all of a sudden I've got another 800 pages. I'm going to have to squeeze in there somewhere. <laughs> I, I didn't know all that, but I, you know, I, I've got to go back and hit that. That's really interesting to know. It, I, it's, it's something. I, you know what, man? You convinced me. I didn't think it was worth. This was my mindset, and you changed it. I didn't think it was worth going back to reading a uh, cut version compared to the version that I read, eleven hundred whatever pages, mm-hmm. because I just thought that, hey, I'm just reading what's in the original, but another four hundred pages. So you convinced me, man. If it's that much of a tonal difference, I want to read that lean cut. That's the one, and look, Stephen King is, like, the most successful author ever. Pro- like, he's, you know, you got, like, William Shakespeare and King perhaps could have just as long of a uh, posthumous career as Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's that seems like it's pretty likely, but I don't know. Brennan's right, man. You could just, some of his stuff... You cut it down by like a few hundred pages, you're gonna have a lean machine. I, I I will firmly stand by the original version of the stand being like every bit as tight as like misery or the dead zone. I mean it wow. is just it is ruthlessly fast, but the thing about it is it's it's more sincere mm. ultimately. Like you know that that passage and I like I like the passage too, but ultimately I like it doesn't really belong. Um especially when you consider the original work. But, you know, that whole, like, uh, what's the phrase? Like, no great loss passage. Mm-hmm. When he's, like, going through all these side characters who are dying, but then he's just kind of like, no great loss after each one of them dies. Why do and, you think... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say there was just aspects of that were so cruel. Like, like there was just, like, a guy who was mourning his family, and he went running, and he died. No great loss. There was a woman who was traumatized by, like, uh, her mother's, um, what's the word I'm looking like? Her mother instilled, like, like a, like a paranoia complex in her because of her own really tragic sexual abuse that she'd suffered. And so that woman, like, accidentally, like, shoots herself in the head, basically, with a, with a, a, a backfire on a gun or something. And all of this, like, deaths being characterized as no great loss was just so... It was more 90s King. It was just a little bit more like it was trivializing the subject matter. Um, whereas 70s King approached everything with just this like this sincerity and this respect for everybody, like this like ability to find the humanity in like everybody. Like there was just an empathy there in so many of his earlier works that um, ultimately is probably the thing I like aspire most to or respect most about any of his work is that ability, you know, the ability to make Annie, Annie, a tragic character as opposed to just a monster or to make Jack Torrance, like a conflicted father um, who loves his family and loses the battle, but like has a glimmer just long enough to win to save his son at the end, instead of just a tyrant and a drunk monster, those things like, are things that like, very few authors could do. And that's what I really love about his work. But in any case, yeah. 
That's great. Uh, yeah, you know what? You hit the nail on the head. I, th- I agree with that. 70s King was obviously rocking. Uh, 80s. 80s would probably be my favorite period. That's when he was just on a freaking roll, man. Oh, yeah. No, no kidding. 90s was kind of like the 90s paperback scene in the mid-90s specifically. I mean, <laughs> Which, that was good stuff. It's just... Well, you're comparing him to his uh, entire bibliography. Yeah, there's just a little bit more callous on him in, in the 90s. Like, he's he's just, a, like, there's a... The, the tone is a little bit, like, jokier and sneering in some ways. Like, Needful Things is very much like a, haha, look at all these, you know, like... You know, I mean, not, not to say that there's still not heart or anything like that, but it's just a little different. The tone yeah. just shifts a little bit. It's like comparing, once you've reached a certain status, it's like comparing, you don't compare yourself to the norm. You compare yourself to what you were and what you might be, just like a Tom Brady. (laughs) (laughs) Brennan told me that you're a Boston fan. Uh, I am. Yeah, but is that for like all four four major sports? I can't say I follow hockey too much. Um, But yeah, I'm a Celtics fan and a Patriots fan. Um, Yeah, what am I missing? Red Sox? Red Sox, yes. I'm a Red Sox fan, too. How? Baseball lives a little bit on me. I lived in Boston for a while. I went to BU. I was there for, like, I lived in okay. Boston about eight years. Oh, okay. Makes yeah. sense. I was going to say, because you're in the uh, Seattle area, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I hate Seattle. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just that whole number 13 thing annoys, annoys me so much. Like, <laughs> you stolen from a football team. Like, I don't know. I mean... Yeah, that's hilarious. I'm just not a big fan of the Seahawks. That was. But I like um, I like what's his name. I like Russ Wilson a lot. I mean, oh, Russ he's Wilson's phenomenal. Fantastic. I mean, he's a joy to watch. And I like uh, what's his what's his wide receiver who's what's his name? Uh, Metcalf. Probably... Yeah, Metcalf is unbelievable. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Dude's an unreal physical specimen, yep. <laughs> I was just going to say that Super Bowl, that one play that Sherman almost uh, cried on the field was the greatest single play in Super Bowl history. Pretty <laughs> wonderful. <That> <laughs> All right, Brennan, <laughs> Brennan, what do you want to segue us into? Because there's no smooth way to do it at this point. I, I love the, the big, long discourse we just had on King, but I'm curious, if you got into King that early, uh, where'd you kind of, you know, a lot of times that's that's the teenage gateway drug to horror. So where where does King take you as far as, you know, horror consumption, be it, you know, books or movies? Uh, definitely. Uh, I mean, I, I watched any anything and everything I could get my hands on for movies that was, you know, like Netflix DVD rentals or, or whatever uh, books. I, I mean, I fell in love with Barker hard and fast when I found him. Amen uh, to that. <laughs> and I went into college. I got into a huge Ramsey Campbell kick. Um, read a ton of Ramsey Campbell. I read. Uh, let's see. I mean, and, but I but I also kind of continued reading somewhat widely as well too. I mean, like it took me it took me a while to get through like Stephen King's bibliography. Um, is that the right word? I'm spacing. But anyway. Um, he, uh, you know, I, I read Steinbeck in college. I read East of Eden, which was like had like some horrifying stuff in there too. I, you know, a lot, a lot of things 
a lot of things out there. I just kind of this and that. It's definitely good to read wide, man, because even if you just want to pursue, some people just want to pursue one genre, you know, that yeah. everything's about life. For sure. Even I mean, there's about- also you know, there's Shirley Jackson, Richard Matheson. There's more. I mean, there's a lot more um, as well to that list. But in any case, I'm going to cut you off. <laughs> Frank, go ahead, man. Uh, I thought I, th- I thought I thought you were you were going. All right, jump in. Oh yeah, no, I, I didn't mean to jump up. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> uh, no worries, man. So uh, you you know you like I said, I, I'm still a little bit impressed at just how uh, early you jumped into reading and all that because I know Patrick and I have both shared that we we got into it a little bit later, uh, and a lot of that was just you know the material forced on us you know in through school at a young age. We just kind of thought that wasn't for us, but. You you had have this lifelong love of reading. So at what point did you say, I can do this, I want to do this? You know, I, I mean, I, I think I wrote a, I, I wrote a couple things in like middle school, elementary school, but it never stuck. Like it was like something I was going to continue doing. It was just like I wrote a thing and then you know that was it. Cause I wanted to. But it was when I read it. I don't. I, that's just when it became like, oh, this is something I, like I, I want to explore. Like I want to try this. You know, I want to make somebody feel a fraction of what this book feel, like made me feel. Um, that would be pretty cool. And so that's just when I started rolling with it. Like I, I think it wasn't just the writing but it was like you know the subject material like the lack of boundaries you know the like the depth of human experience that he explored the way he tested his characters those things were totally new and startling for me even as a lifelong reader up until that point you know i'd read a lot of great stuff but it's like stephen king took the gloves off and it was just big big deal Yeah, I, I can totally get behind that idea of just wanting to, you know, the the feeling captured in just, you know, losing yourself in a book that feels that personal. I, and I think it hits so many people like that. Uh, and wanting to just recreate, you know, what if I, you know, had the ability to create that feeling in, you know, a reader? Uh, that's That's awesome. So when did you start really taking it seriously? Well, I, I think I did like a, went to some sort of like, it, was like, it wasn't a summer camp, but it was like a, a study program. Um, and I did a little bit of writing there. And then it was after that, I, uh, I started my first terrible book, <laughs> did that for my senior project. Um, then I wrote my second terrible book in college. And uh, I college in three years, so but I got out of it um, when I was like 21, and then that's when I started the safe, which I think is my first pretty okay book, um, and that's the first one I published, and then uh, and then yeah, and then I just you know continued from there. Longry, four things, I hungry friend, and now the Nightmareland Chronicles. How many years after was the uh, first vol- for volume one of uh, Nightmare Lane Chronicles? How many what? So from the time you wrote your first book oh, to... Yeah, between... Um, 
probably about ten years between you know ten years of ten years of writing. I think I started I started um, well, the the first terrible book, Clarity, when I was like eighteen, maybe seventeen. No, I was eight. No, I was seventeen. Yeah, and then probably started the Nightmareland Chronicles. Twenty eight. I've been working on it for three years now, over three years, three and a half, just about. Uh, and so. that is supposed to be what, like a sixteen book series? Twelve, yeah. Oh, okay, twelve. I'm on volume six right now, which is the kind of the season finale. It's going to be a big one. That's fantastic, and it are is every single cover done by Daniel Sarah? Uh, so far, the first five have been. Um, I'm contracted with him for six. So, and then I'll have to take it up with him again when the time comes for the other ones and see, you know, see if he can make room on his plate for it. I would, I would, I would love it if I could get him to do all 12, but, uh, it's a long way in the making for sure still. Yeah. How'd you end up landing him? Cause in my eyes, he's one of the bigger names. Super approachable. Um, I, I read, I, I saw a cover pop-up of his and I was like man that was amazing so then I went to his website and I was like oh my god this guy's like amazing and yeah. I, so I reached out to him and it turned out that it was like the last day of uh, um, he'd been kind of branching out and doing stuff for indies at the time and he had a little promotion going and so I like listened to his rates and um, was able to work something out for like a package deal right at, right at that time that was a few years ago and he's been super kind and patient with me in terms of the fact that it's an ongoing thing and you know um, kind of piece by piece cover by cover going through it so yeah now I know a lot of cover artists or you know you could even say a lot of authors they'll designate something relatively specific to a cover artist say this is what i envision what can you do but sarah has such a unique style um i'm really curious about you know how you know what you start with what what you hand over versus the the finished product that comes back yeah so i mean we talk a little bit about stuff um uh, he's he's italian um and I, as such, I imagine that, you know, English isn't his, his first language. Um, so it's, it's remarkable what he's able to draw from the, the, like the pieces that I give him, um, the elements and stuff for the covers. Some, some of them have been a little bit more specific than others. Other ones have just been kind of like, you know, setting tone, um, like featured, you know, like if you could feature this, that'd be cool. Sometimes I've given him sort of an either or sort of thing. Um, yeah, I'm always just so amazed with what he turns up. I mean, he's just, he's such a talent and I'm so lucky to be able to work with him for these first six at least. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, you know, we jumped a, a little bit to the side, let's say, to do cover art, but uh, let's, let's do a little... Uh, 
conception and overall synopsis of the series. You've got five books out so far, five phenomenal books, I'll say. Um, and, you know, I'm eagerly anticipating number six, um, which I think you said just today is sitting around 100,000 words. Um, so let, let's let's go with synopsis first. Give us the, the kind of picture of what you've done so far. Yeah, so the uh, sort of elevator pitch that I have in my head for these kind of moments is, um, you know, the Nightmareland Chronicles is an adventure horror epic following one man, uh, one haunted man's journey to reach his estranged daughter in a world claimed by Eternal Night. Um, it is, I think, it's got it's got a lot going on in the premise, but the pieces of the premise, uh, you know, the supernatural elements build in a very gradual way um, so as to hopefully give time for the reader to be grounded with and like come to care about the characters before things get kind of bonkers in some ways um, you know like before some of the more out there elements of the series kind of start to take hold um, I, I look at like I, I, yeah I, I wanted it to be you know pretty character forward um, characters are always what matters to me in stories. So, yeah, it's um, it's coming along. I mean, it's it's uh, special to be able to work on it, Just like something something like this. You know, it's a little scary too. <laughs> I give give so much of my life to something like this. I mean, it's it's really consumed me for about three and a half years, and I'm sure at least that long continuing it will be consuming me so pretty big chunk that, of time and that's something i definitely want want to get into your head with um yeah you know everything it sounds like everything you wrote up to before this was a uh, standalone novel um so what exactly made you say you know i want to tell this sprawling epic and we're not talking you know sprawling epic in terms of this is an 800 page book or a trilogy like this is this thing's gonna be fat when you're done. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So I mean, what? What? Go ahead. Oh yeah, no, I was just. I mean, Lily could easily run 500 pages in in terms of like the format that I've been making these books. Um, I always wanted to write something big and sprawling and epic. I mean, I guess that's the simplest answer to that too. So it was just more of a matter of when instead of, you know, what or if. Um, it was going to happen, but, um, yeah, so it was the way that came up as for the format itself, like, like this serialized format, um, in which, you know, the length of each particular volume isn't like necessarily consistent. Um, but I'm trying to tell something of a contained story in each one because I want, you know, it's important that each published work has a beginning, middle, and end, and is satisfying in its own right. Even if though it's building off of the last one, you can't pick up three without reading one and two, but you should be able to read three and not feel like, you know, that, that it was like, that I, that I cut it, like chop, you know, arbitrarily chop the story into pieces just to release more and, you know, some cash grab kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, I, I just, 
you know, for me, it was, uh, are you too familiar with Hugh Howey? No. He's a science fiction author. He's done some horror, too, but um, he was kind of the first big blow-up author. Uh, His serialized work, Wool, got picked up by Ridley Scott. I don't think it ever got made, and I think the rights got passed around, and now it's going to come out on Apple TV, I want to say, but it's coming, in any case, in a series format. What's it called? Wool. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, and he, he has some other stuff out there too. But he's a fantastic author, and he he did this serialized thing, and um, I you know I got into the stories when he released the omnibus, like all like five of them together. Um, I didn't know how long this one was going to be. It just kind of contained some of some aspects. Like I'll have what I you know what I think is going to be contained to this much, like you know, like a segment of it, like a chapter of the story, a volume of the story will grow and become two volumes and stuff. So it kind of grows from within and it spreads outward. But um, I liked that format and I, and I liked that idea of the energy that you can bring to the table with telling an ongoing story, but kind of like to some extent supercharging these, like, these pieces of it. Um, sometimes they're shorter and sometimes as with like Lily's case, they're not, but, uh, it's, it was, it just seemed some, it seemed like a cool thing to try, I guess. And so I did, I don't know if it was a good decision or not, but I'm happy I'm doing it. It's interesting because I mean, obviously you hear about, you, you, you see there are series of books that last for, uh, uh, Robert Jordan's, um, Wheel of Time comes to mind, lasting for like 14 books or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I wonder if you took any inspiration from uh, comic storytelling, because the the way that you have this kind of overarching um, story, but with you know contained miniature arcs, reminds me of um, of of comics, and and yet you know you you know that I will sing the praises of the way you write prose until you hit that last volume and then I'll keep doing it but so it, it needs to be told in this fashion but at the same time uh, it I, I can't help but compare it to the way that um, a series like why the last man or like preacher uh, goes on no I, I'm uh, I'm not as knowledgeable when it comes to comics Um graphic novels i read lock and key by joe hill and i adored it and it's something that i always want to read more and i just haven't just like continuing to like have not read more (laughs) since then and i know that lock and key is a big inspiration for me um because it's just one of another one of those stories i cherish i don't know in regards to the format if that kind of I felt that in any way, shape, or form. Um, sometimes I think of you know these these television series. Um, sometimes I think in terms of those, like the, you know the you know you have these like season by seasons, um, and occasionally in my head I kind of even catch myself thinking of like volumes one through six is like season one. Um, you know, that's something that I've talked about with my agent when we're talking about pitching this for, you know, film and TV. It's kind of like season one. Um, I mean, I don't know if it would actually 
necessarily break down that way, but it's just kind of in my head. Like, I don't have, I don't have a lot of an, like exact answers. I'm just kind of doing what feels right and hoping it works out. Think it till you make it, Dan. <laughs> well, and I, and I think a lot of that is, you know, you, you're saying, oh, I'm not super familiar with, uh, you know, comics as much as this medium or that medium. Um, and and I, the, the fact that we can't, you can't pin it down. It's a little bit like TV seasons, but not exactly. It's a little bit like, you know, a 1200 page sprawling epic, but not really because it does this. It's a little bit like comics, but you know, that's not where I took inspiration from. I think that's a big reason for readers who might be, who, who might initially look at something like this and say, Oh shit, not another post-apocalyptic book. And for them to be able to pick this up because it's it's different. It, it you know you you haven't read this before. You haven't read anything like this before. Uh, and you know if you're saying you know I liked the stand and I liked Swan Song, but eh, I'm good. No, it's 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 very different. Um, of course, you're going to draw the comparisons to things like that because those are the gold standards in our genre. Um, but again, I think the fact that uh, you can draw these loose comparisons but say but it's not exactly like that is exactly the reason why it's such an intriguing project well i mean i'm you know i'm just trying to tell the kind of story that i would love to read um and you know tell you know approach each part like sincerely and have as much fun with moment by moment as i can um, like in the, in the telling of this story and getting to know these characters and you know, them, them surprising me and, and all that stuff. It's, uh, it's a special thing. Um, and like hearing that, you know, it's working for, you know, for readers is, is just a, like a really fucking cool thing. I heard from a, a fantasy, a predominantly fantasy reader, a uh, really, really nice guy named Andrew. He has a channel called Wizardly Reads, and he posted a like a, a double review of Lullaby and Sleepwalking today, and he talked a bunch about his experience in the deaf, deaf community through his mom, um, and he just talked about like Marcos and how uh, it felt authentic to him, and and that like made me a little emotional to be honest like listening to them talk about it because I don't really know what I'm doing I'm just trying my best so it's really nice to hear that at least for one person with that experience um, in that community that like that that hit the mark for them like that Marcos felt authentic and was a character he connected with um I resonated for him, you know. So that was like things like that. Like I can't say how cool it is to hear something like that, you know. Absolutely. Did you pull from any life experiences of someone you knew that you base that character off of? Well, you're always pulling little little things, life experiences, but in terms of that particular aspect of his character, um, the fact that he's unhearing. No, I, 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 no, I don't have any personal experience myself. I just, um, like I said, I just, I just did my best, uh, you know. And I know that there's probably places where I fucked up a little bit, and I hope people pardon me for that. 
<laughs> but um, I'm just, you know, trying to tell a story with good characters that you can care about, that you can worry for. Um, and, you know, that's that's what, I mean, that was the thing with, like, reading The Stand was as much as it traumatized me, I would catch myself, like, thinking, oh, I wonder how Stu's doing, like, two months after I read the book and be like, fuck, Stu's not real. But yeah, 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 he is now. He is to me now. That's awesome. And so, you know, just, just, just trying to be honest uh, with the story, with these people, these characters. Have fun with it. Yep. Now, so far in the in the five volumes that are out, uh, like you said, you wanted to exp- be able to kind of blow up the story so you can develop character, and you know, especially in the last you know few volumes, uh, we just keep getting taken to interesting you know new places in this you know new world. Um, what can readers looking forward to Lily expect in this you know season one finale, as you put it? All right. Um, readers can looking f- readers can look forward to finding out what happened to John to make him the way he is in detail. Um, there might be some pieces that are left out because I don't believe you should give the whole picture of something, but enough of the picture that you can stitch the rest together on your own. Um, but readers can expect that. I, you know, I, I feel like it was the, is the right time. Um, we have John potentially reconnecting with his brother who he hasn't seen in a long time. And it gives another set of eyes both to John and his past to explore that. Um, those things that he doesn't talk about, like the wolves and their father um, in Vermont, that cabin in Vermont that's been hinted at, like since book one uh so we can you you can expect you know if if book one was like the knight's book and book two is maria's book um and book three is kind of a tag team between maria and marcos and then four is a little bit of this and a little bit of that like i think book six is like in a very real way it's john's book that said um there, so there's that. Um, there's definitely going to be a few more nightmares, like a few heavy-hitting nightmares um, to watch out for in there. And a reckoning. I mean, that's. I mean, book six is a reckoning for every decision that's been made thus far. Um, we'll see a close to almost every plot line, except for the overarching one involving the weeping boy. Um, and the lullaby you know well those are kind of separate things as we've discovered that you know at this point like but yeah we'll see an end like except for except for the you know overarching plot line about the night and the weeping boy and whatever you know terrible forces behind all this um we're gonna see everything else get come to a come to its own kind of end you know, past and past catches up, like both the very old past of John's childhood and the more recent past, the flashlighters and some stuff going back to book one that would be hard to mention without giving stuff away, as I'm sure you know who I'm talking about, but 
it, it, I'm, I'm sure it's not uh, not exactly easy to promote five books at once when they all kind of tie together yeah. like they do. <laughs> um, all right. So you've got, you know, a- after book six comes out, you've got a potential, you know, call it a second season, another six in the works. So, I mean, you I'm certainly not asking for specifics, but in your head or, you know, in a notebook somewhere, you know the main plot points of of how everything's going to come out uh yes and no i don't have an outline i'm not an outliner um i did have to put a few things down in words more recently when talking to my agent about this stuff you know for like film treatment kind of thing um like coverage for you know any any uh anything that anybody out there that might be interested in adapting it so i had to put some stuff down for those you know potential um, conversations. I have, I have a few important characters in my mind, a few new important characters, and then I have premises. Some of them are more, more developed in my head than others. Um, it's really writing this stuff that gives it the development for me. Um, I'm kind of a pantser in that way, like like a slow pantser kind of go through like thoroughly to an extent um and like just kind of like cook it as i'm going but um so yeah i've I've got a couple characters i've got premises in play um maybe some kind of like a trick like some traditional bumps in the night to sort of mix in with sort of some of the more outlandish or new nightmares that might be seen along the way because the options really are pretty open with the premise that's you know involved in this story so you know you might you might see a, a more traditional kind of monster pop into play somewhere and then I, and then I have a pretty good idea of the end um, I have a fairly decent idea of the end like the overall character arcs for for um, some of these key players in the story and you know like where the climax will take place and uh how it will be resolved in broader strokes if not you know specific details Hmm. you know what i got a question that covers uh career um brennan are you okay moving on no go ahead so going back to like how we were talking about different eras of stephen king um what are your hopes specifically with where you see your career right now and kind of we we tackled this a little bit earlier but where do you where do you want to end up seeing yourself as a writer how do you want to evolve what's your highest priority at this point i just want to be able to like continue to do it you know and like not worry about having a roof over my head and not have to, um, you know, break my back waiting tables or, or whatever, you know, which is like what I've been doing predominantly for the last 10 years, um, barring COVID COVID times when, uh, you know, that kind of booted me out of the, out of having a job there. Um, right. You know, everything, but, uh, I, I just, I mean, it's really as simple as that. I just want to be able to continue do it, doing it. I mean, the rest is, you know, like like dreams and stuff. Yeah, I would love stuff to take off. Yeah, I would, you know, 
love to see my name places or or get a, you know meet some of these authors that have um, so inspired me as a peer and not just as a fan. Like, oh my God, yeah, those would be dreams come true. But um, I mean, like beyond beyond like the fanciful stuff that you know you know seeing your stuff on the screen or having a hit or you know not having to worry about money again ever in your life like I would I would genuinely be happy just like being able to continue to doing like being able to continue to do it <laughs> you know uh, we all have the bigger dreams but I just I want to you know I want to keep t- I want to keep telling stories it's what I'm what I enjoy most and uh, it's what I'm best at I think you know mm. um, in this world I can I can definitely relate to that. You keep talking about your agent. Uh, is that Carmen Wells? It is. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, anything that you can tell us about that process for any other, you know, writers that kind of want to pursue that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I can't talk specifically about like who we're talking to or anything like that. Um, but. And, and it's a totally new process for me. So there's not much I can say other than like my experience with it thus far has been like exciting and fun. And, um, you know, working on this, this treatment to kind of like cram as much of the story into about three and a half pages for the whole series as possible. So very, very trimmed down kind of thing where you can like slap in a producer's face and give them like the real nuts and bolts the nitty gritty of like character arcs and story beats but without a lot of the detail um and we're going to be working on a bible like is what it's called just more in depth um a lot more detail about character arcs and characters themselves and plot points and all that stuff and the rest is just, you know, it's a fickle business, um, slow business, you know, talk to some writers, talk to some producers of studios, you know, that kind of thing. And you just kind of, you hope, <laughs> I guess, along the way. I mean, Carmen's fantastic. She's, she's wonderful. Um, it's, it's amazing to have her, you know, her enthusiasm and passion and talent in in my camp right now and uh it's a really cool opportunity i can't say how much of how grateful i am for that for sure yeah Yeah, i know she she's pretty awesome i've heard a lot of good things about working with her too she's taken on a lot of uh a lot of people that we've had on as well so yeah yeah she's working with uh, tim meyer and Haley piper and uh, Rhonda and jay uh I always mess up. I can't remember if it's Ronda the Jay Garcia or Jay Joseph, but her as well. Uh, Cena Palio. No one. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was. I knew. I knew I was missing a very obvious one. <laughs> She's great. Brandon, what, what do you want to lead into, sir? Actually, I wanted to ask you about something that uh, I don't know much about, so I'm hoping you can fill me in. Uh, Dark Peninsula Press is it looks like they're starting a a magazine of sorts and they are going to have featured off authors in each issue and you're number one so tell us a little bit about that process yeah so um arik 
apologize, Arik, if you're listening to this and I mispronounced your name. I've uh, never heard it out loud, so I'm doing my best. But super nice guy, and he reached out to me. I know he had read some of the Nightmareland Chronicles. Um, he reached out to me, and he asked if I'd be interested if I had anything for this. Uh, this first this inaugural issue, uh, Woodland Terrors is the premise. And as it happened, um, I had a I had a story that was like a novelette um, that had been just kind of sitting there for the last couple years because there's nowhere to submit novelettes um, really. You know, you submit it to Clark's like the standard procedure with a novelette is you submit it to Clark's word Clark's World. Um, they reject it about 10 minutes later, and then and then it just sits there for a while. And then actually in this case, I forgot I submitted it to Clark's World, submitted it again a year later, got a better <laughs> response from them this time. They said it was almost what they were looking for, but it was rejected again, which is like kind of hilarious um, all in all. <laughs> um, really glad they didn't get mad at me. But I had it sitting there for a long time. It was a story that I was really fond of. It's called Pigfoot. It's a little bit like the intersection of urban myth and like family trauma and hauntings um a little bit of coming of age or maybe even a lot of bit of coming of age mixed in there was, uh something that i wanted to find a home for for a long time and felt like you know deserved a home that was one i was pretty proud of he came along with this woodland terrors and it just so happens that uh pigfoot is set like predominantly like right there in and around the woods you know an old abandoned slaughterhouse urban myth revolving around the slaughterhouse and uh <laughs> it worked he, he liked the story so he picked it up and um i happen to know who the second author featured author is going to be and i can't say but it's a pretty exciting name um and i just feel really really honored by, you know, the fact that he reached out to me for this is super cool. Really cool. Yeah, they're, they're doing some cool things. Uh, sorry, Pat, I'll throw it to you in a second. Uh, they had the negative space uh, kind of like survivor survival yeah. horror anthology last year. They, they're they about to put out another one um, that's kind of an homage to Grindhouse Horror. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to start this up and, you know, just be part of that inaugural run that, you know, like, like you hinted at, uh, the people are going to be excited about, uh, you know, of course, if they're not excited already that you're in number one, they're going to be excited about number two. Uh, just, you know, yeah. to see that press doing things and, and you're you're hitting the ground running with them. That's pretty cool. No, it's, it's super special. I mean, I don't, you know, uh, I don't know how excited anybody's going to be about having, like, seen my name attached there, but it means a lot to me. And I... Um, like I think Dark Peninsula is definitely on the up and up. They've got just so many cool, so many cool ideas in the works. Um, is there anything you can tell us about it? Uh, about Pigfoot? No, I'm sorry about the press. About the press? Um, I only know what um, like my correspondences have revealed for me with this stuff, which is. I, like I know who's going to be the number, like um, the issue number two featured author, but I, I, I think I would be 
like popping a balloon that's not mine to pop or oh i got you yeah, like, he'd, he'd kick down your door and beat you up that's right like on air. It'd be embarrassing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's his confetti to throw. <laughs> so I, I got to keep mum about that. But um, I'm really excited to see, you know. And it looks like I might actually be um, like able to do a little reading of the shortlist as well, too. Um, before it comes out, oh, that's cool. It's a pretty, pretty neat thing, I think. Yeah. I don't really know. I don't really know much more other than it's 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 a super cool thing. And after you know this this long long drought of not having any short stories coming out, I have three different short stories coming out, and uh, like right around the same time this fall season. So that's pretty sweet for me. <laughs> That's excellent. And uh, one of those places, uh, you and I will be uh, yes, appearing will. together. So uh, yeah. very excited to, uh, you know, like I said, I've been singing your praises on those books. So I am honored as hell to share a table of contents okay. with you. Back at you, man. That's how I that's how I was like teasing you about it on Twitter that day. I knew it was I knew it yeah. was uh, <laughs> that anthology because like that was the day that people were here in. So. Wait, did I miss something? You guys didn't mention a name, did you? Uh, it's Blackberry Blood. Um, oh, Aiden Merchant. Yeah, but Aiden Merchant, yeah. Really good guy. Uh, really nice guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was in the review platform that I took over before I took it over for Deadhead Reviews. Uh, I've talked with him for like three years now. I like him. He's a nice guy. Um and Sadie Hartman's doing the forward for that too. Yeah, I mean that's super, super honored by that. That's I mean, like a really special thing. Yeah, she's doing that. Yeah, and it looks like she's gonna really put some weight behind it too, which is, which is pretty cool. You know, like I said, this this was, uh, I believe it was initially supposed to be just a little magazine, and he got such a positive response with submissions, you know, that he turned it into an anthology and opened subs up for another week and got like an additional hundred and fifty, and yeah, he got he winnowed them down real quick too. Like 218 or something total, I think, by the end of it. Um, There's something, something up there in the 200s. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, I know he's got big plans for Snowcapped Press, and I hope he, I hope he can continue to like, fall, you know, see those through because it's a lot. Of, I mean, there's just a lot of wonderful people with a lot of passion for horror in this community, and the more that they're, you know, the more, the more that we're all able to do what we're hoping to do, the better it is, you know sharing that with each other in ways and I found that you know sharing a TOC with somebody you know you, you get a whole lot like a, you get so much more like pulled into a, a community of things when you're involved in something like that and, and I think that that's something that I've, I've missed in some ways because I've chosen to self-publish rather than like pursuing you know small press or anything like that um, it's just that kind of that, that that unit you form with the people that your 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 name is appearing beside, whether through like the same press or right there yeah. in that. So, and, and I I think you know, and I'm I'm not pitching an original idea here. I'm actually stealing uh, part of Brian Keane's uh, forward in in the anthology that uh, Pat just sent me, Dark Words, where 
it, they're just such a good vehicle for getting your name out there. You know, it's a, like you said, you can self-publish and you can promote on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. But, you know, if somebody picks up an anthology because Sadie Hartman wrote the foreword because Laurel Hightower has a story in it and then they they see uh, you, they, they get introduced to what you have to offer. I, I mean, there's there's not another way to wait to make that happen. Um, and anthologies are just such gold for that. And it, and it gives you a little bit more permission to reach out to that author you're a little scared to reach out to and say, hey, I really, you know, like, you're a little intimidated by and like, hey, we're in the same thing. Like, just want to say, you know, that means a lot to me. Like, you know, like, look forward to read your story and build those kind of, those friendships um, that are so integral to, well, I mean, like, not just the business side of things and trying to hack it, um, but like staying sane as an author, you know, <laughs> kind of like lonely little like writing bubble. Like, hey, I'm not the only, you know, you're not the only one out there doing this weird, crazy thing where you, you know, you know, you throw your throw hours upon hours, days upon days into, yeah. And I think that is the big one. We just we we had I'm I'm still kind of running it through my head. We had a conversation with uh, Bracken McLeod the other day, and he he said it's it's not if you go into it, you know, whether it's in person conventions or in this case, just sending a message saying, hey, I appreciate you know I'm, I appreciate your work, and I'm really honored to be in the same book as you. Um, it, it's forming those genuine connections, not going into it saying you know I'm making a you know. Uh, uh, a business acquisition here. I'm yeah, not. Exactly. Uh, I, I'm not putting you in my phone book and listing. You know, I was in the an anthology with this person. It's you're making a genuine connection with another human yeah. being who has chosen to devote a fairly substantial chunk of their life to writing, just like you have. It's it's a big yeah. sacrifice. It's a big thing, um, cool. and uh, we need all the help we can get. <laughs> it's, it's the coolest thing out there, you know. To like. Connect, and I, I mean, I think that's one of the. I mean, Twitter has been a pretty special place in that regard to, you know, find like some of these people you don't think would be accessible at all are like far more accessible than seems like even reasonable. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like Joe know. Lansdale, Joe Lansdale yeah. and Ronald Kelly. Yeah, exactly. Like Joe, yeah, absolutely. Or for world famous names, uh, on Horner Jacobs. I was gonna say, <laughs> I was gonna say Mark Hamill, man. He replies to a lot of his fans too. Yeah. He's funny. He's funny as hell. He is. He's amazing. He's. I mean, like, love that man. He's just. He's just. He's a good one. He's a real one. He yeah. is. He is a Jedi Master after all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you mentioned uh, you mentioned you have three stories coming out this fall. You, you've got uh, the Dark Peninsula issue. You've got Blackberry Blood. What's number three? Uh, Blackberry. Uh, so uh, the third one is uh, I got a story appearing in uh, Scott Moses's What One Wouldn't Do. Oh, excellent! I don't remember seeing your name for that one, but that's that's great. That was a big big get this uh, yeah, <laughs> this it summer. It was. Uh, I mean, I, I was super. You know, that was. So exciting. Uh, I mean, Scott is a wonderful guy, and I know that he's he's enjoyed a couple of the Nightmare Land Chronicles, and um, I had a story that seemed like it would fit pretty well. It was kind of, in a way, sort of a spiritual companion piece to this 
story that I have um, coming in Blackberry Blood. No kidding. Uh, kind of like two sides of the same coin, which is a little bit of a pun <laughs> in regards to one of the stories. But um, Go into further detail about that. <laughs> I was, yeah, was going to say, yeah. here's a joke that you'll get in three months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I mean... I, I, just uh, you know, I guess when it when it rains it pours, and the opposite is sometimes true as well too. Like it's been a it's been a really special uh, couple of months in terms of these 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 uh, anthologies that are coming and the communications I've had with these editors and stuff. You know, it's just it's cool when people like your stuff. <laughs> and, and congratulations, Brandon, by the way, on. Your, is it next week that Slattery Falls is coming? Next Tuesday. Yep. Next Tuesday. Jo- July yeah. 20th for people listening to this two weeks after July 20th. David, you stole my joke. <laughs> <laughs> that just means if you're hearing this now that it's, you know, you can buy it right this minute. Okay. So go do yeah. so. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and congratulations to you too on, you know, both. I, I, I'm going to say the success of Nightmare Land because it seems like a lot of people are reading that and enjoying it, just digging the absolute hell out of it. Um, right. And of course, your you know those three acceptances all hitting in the fall. You know, more more Daniel Barnett in the world is a good thing. Oh, thank you, uh, thank you so much. I mean, like I like I said, it's just a, it's a cool thing to see your stuff out there and you know, see people see people excited about it. Um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a like I know that like there's like there are many people who have toiled for you know decades and decades, <laughs> but I've been in this you know been in the, like had skin in the game um, like my whole adult life, kind of been pushing or, you know pushing all my energies or like most of my energies <laughs> toward this. So it's it's pretty cool to feel like okay maybe turning a little bit of a corner and turn. <laughs> now 10 years later um maybe something's happening i don't know just don't let off the gas (laughs) hey uh, what are you you only like you're only 31 32 yeah 31 yeah okay dude you're young as hell you got a long long career ahead of you yeah playing the long game that's what it is (laughs) playing the long game aren't we all (laughs) maybe when i'm 45 i'll be an overnight success (laughs) <laughs> like yeah, uh, who was that who was talking about that Don Winslow yeah another guy yeah, he, who's more successful than you think he, yeah he still writes I watched a recent interview with him he still writes for like 12 hours a day man it's crazy and he had a, a shitload of books written before I forget the one that put him on the map but Cartel Trilogy Power of the Dog Trilogy yeah yeah the first one for that I don't remember the name but uh, I know that he wrote for decades before, <laughs> and I he did say that the overnight success thing. He is a fucking unbelievable writer. I can yeah. like that. I, I actually talked about this on Ink Heist with Shane and Rich, but oh, let's not talk about that. I'm just <laughs> fucking with you, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> That's a trilogy of like 800 page books. Yeah. That like that reads like breathtakingly fast. 
I mean, it is, and and like on a on a line by line level, like he wrote he wrote like three door stoppers, and they all have cadence. You know what I mean? Like they all have like like the prose scenes on every fucking page, and just like the <laughs> amount of work you have to do to do that is got to spend twelve hours a day. <laughs> staggering. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know what, man? Uh, all right, I want to hear from you guys, but let me let me get my answer first because it goes along with that what we just talked about. Okay. Now, if if say you got the money and all that shit, if you could just write for a living, right? Yeah. How many hours a day do you think you put in? Because for me, I feel like I'd say put five hours, five days a week, four to six hours, five days a week. But I'd probably try writing seven. But I, I don't think I'd be able to push more than four, maybe someday six. Because after that, it's just I'm I'm feeling nothing and I'm not getting shit done. I've tried it. What about you guys? What would your answer be? Brendan? Oh, oh yeah, I got to go next. <laughs> uh, I, I would do the Joe Lansdale three. Um, I, you know, even when I have... To, you know, as a teacher, summer's off, and it's nice because it affords me a lot more time to write. But I, just, I can't, I can't sit down for five and six hours. At, and, and if I do, I am, you know, I'm churning out fragments and just making up words after four hours. So it's, you know, I could spend that time, but it's not worth it. Uh, but you know that the the rest of the day affords you to do to do other stuff. To me. You know, writing and you know, revising or editing that those are different. You know, maybe three hours of writing and editing later in the day. Uh, obviously, if you're at that level, going on social media is part of the job. You know, um, and it would allow me to put the damn phone down when I'm supposed to be writing. So, you know what? Before, sorry to interrupt, Daniel. Before you, um, we go to his answer. Just reading a shitload of interviews and, and whatnot of writers and, and talking to them from, you know, the do the the writers that wrote back in the seventies and eighties to even the nineties. In some cases, even the early early aughts, you, you just it sounded like you basically just had to be a writer. Um, but nowadays, you can't just in most cases you can't just be you can't you can't just be a writer. You could be the best damn writer in the whole world that most people love. And if most people don't know about you, they ain't going to love you. Yeah, no, I mean, if you're going to, the only way for that to be, you know, for you to pull off just being a writer is um, to be probably, you know, prodigiously talented, prodigiously dedicated, and prodigiously lucky enough to get the right kind of big five or big four deal. Um, yeah, big four now. Yeah, it, it, it is a lot of luck, too, in a lot of cases. It's not just about... I mean, like, look at the Harry Potter series. That was, like, you know... Like, that was, like, the phenomenon of our lifetime. And it What's was... Uh, you know... <laughs> oh, not... Yeah. I'm not funny. Sorry, go ahead. No, ignore that. Just I mean, keep like, going. From, from a worldwide... Um, from a, from a, I mean, we don't have to get into the quality of the books. Like they, they meant a great deal to me, and they still do. But um, that's fun. But uh, from a popularity standpoint, like 
she became a billionaire off of them, you know. Yeah. But then the you first, look at the first billionaire writer. Yeah. First billionaire of writing, I think, ever. And yep. You know, um, you look at that, and then you, and then you look at the fact that like several publishers rejected the first book. Um, like, I think it was so, like twenty or thirty that rejected the first one. It was a, you know. It said it was too long for a kid's book. <laughs> yeah, like so. I mean, when, when you consider that, and you consider that the pop, you consider the popularity that it attained. Like, even that didn't just like breeze through the gates into like, like the history books. Um, you got to be lucky, too. I mean, yeah. and, and the more you roll the dice, the more, you know, like the greater chance you have of being lucky. But luck is always going to be a big component of, of, this, of this game. So, yeah, you know, to, to do, um, to only be a writer, you just have to be extra lucky. And, you know, to only be a writer and be successful, you have to make up for it somewhere else, which is whether, you know, whether it's like, Skill, hard work, or luck—you know, <laughs> like some combination of the three. It can be done, but it's already a hard enough business as it is, and you're definitely at a disadvantage if you don't—if you know—you refuse to go online. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And uh, the other thing is, is it wasn't just the one book, man. If she just wrote *Sorcerer uh, Philosopher's Stone*. And stop there uh, probably wouldn't be what it is today because I think it took like five books for it to really click and for it to be what it was. Yeah, it was probably around like I mean it, it just got it continued to get bigger. I think it be, it was it was probably I don't know I think it was probably a sensation by the by I think it was already on Oprah by the end of the second book or something. So it was like. It was, it was, you know, it was like on broadcast television, getting getting boosted by um, Chamber of Secrets, if I remember correctly. But uh, yeah, I mean, all dream, right? Well, also Game of Thrones, man. It wasn't the one book. It took like no. ten years or something like that, and four, four or five. I think, I'm, I think it was the fourth book where he started to really hit popularity. That's when the, the he had four books out when they started the show. Yeah, and the third one was the one that was like got everybody hot and bothered. Like, yeah, because of the red wedding scene, probably. Yeah. I mean, it was just the the whole third book was a climax for the first three, so it was just like one heartbreaking, huge gut punch after another with like revelation and action and all that stuff. And then, and then he kind of had to pick up the pieces for the feast, for crows, and beyond, and build things up a little bit more again. Um, but yeah, yeah, for sure. Where, where were we? Um, <laughs> said, I don't think we talked. <laughs> I don't think we touched on this. And if we did, my apologies. But book six of your Nightmare Lane series is. Uh, I read that you have hit over the hundred thousand word mark. I have, are, yeah. <laughs> are the if you were to guess, would you say that the last six are going to be of that th- that that thick or? 
Oh, no. I, I, I think that this is kind of a special one um, in that regard. This is... I wanted... I wanted to give readers something to chew on, something that hopefully will feel special to them in terms of, like, everything that happens and the amount of time that's given to explore these things um, and feel these moments. I wanted to give them something special to go out on because there is going to be a break after a natural break after volume six because I have to write the rest. And I probably... (laughs) probably will try to finish the rest before I start releasing anymore um, because that affords me a lot more freedom when it comes to revising and like going back and forth between stuff and it's a lot to, it's a lot to juggle um, otherwise I mean to, to clarify I wrote the first I had finished volume five I finished volume five before writing or before releasing volume one. So what I'm going to be doing with the back half really isn't so much different than what I did with the front half. It's just that nobody felt it because it didn't exist to them yet. So, gotcha. um, yeah, volume six, I, I, I just was like, I want to give readers, I just wanted to give people something big, you know? I mean, it's it's a big, pivotal turning point in the series, and I, I wanted it to have weight in every sense of the word um you know an earned weight uh hopefully and we might see something similar come the end for the final book or maybe lily will just be the biggest fucking book in the series it's, it's <laughs> quite possible you know it just depends on how things break down um how they divide up you know now is that gonna say it on the back cover biggest fucking book in the series only if somebody gives me a blurb that says that. <laughs> so, Brennan, unless you... Sorry, I was going to say, just don't, just don't go winds of winter on us and disappear for like 10 years. Oh, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't plan on it. <laughs> you know what? I, I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. I've learned, you know, learn from people's mistakes. George Romero, uh, George A.A. <laughs> I can't talk. George R. R. Martin. Yeah. yeah. George R. R. Martin, and, and for those that aren't super keen, like familiar with other fantasy writers, but this other one named Patrick Rothfuss, um, who wrote two books of a trilogy, they both announced years ago that their next book would, like Patrick Rothfuss's, would be the third in the trilogy. Romero, uh, <laughs> there you go again. Martin's would be the sixth. Yeah. Uh, don't do that. Don't ever. <laughs> ever announce that this book will come out then unless it's gonna yeah <laughs> yeah i mean you gotta be pretty damn sure it, it better be written because rothfuss said that he wrote all three of them and like i said that was, i forget how long but that was years ago Been what i can what i can tell people is that i'm i'm pretty fucking single-minded i i don't even have the ability to like stop writing something and write like a short story on the side oh man like I, when I start working at something, it's, I, I get tunnel vision on it. It's kind of the only thing that exists for me. So, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to promise that I won't like write a standalone novella between 
like six and seven just for like coming up for a breath of fresh air if something pops up into my head i'm not going to promise that but also at the also on this like the same token like i might just get right to volume seven as soon as i'm like <laughs> by the time i'm done revising volume six and getting it out getting it ready getting it out there into the world i might already be like fuck i need to be with these characters again and that's love so yeah. um like I, yeah, you know, I'm not a fast writer. You know, there there are definitely some people on Twitter who are like wrote ten thousand words today. It was pretty sweet. Not quite as good as yesterday. <laughs> like that's not how I am. I'm like, I'm just, I'm just dogged with it. You know, like I just, I I, I, I just keep going. I guess, um, and I love it. But you know, it's takes a little time. That's okay. You know, it's. Like writing is about being okay, you know. It's about making your days like good. Like days are better when you write, you know. I hear you. And yeah. you know, so so that's that's what it comes down to for me. Um, we'll see. We'll <laughs> we'll see. I hate to keep people waiting. I have a I have a fifth grade teacher who emails me about like once every couple weeks to ask when the next one's coming out. That's really cool. Like, so <laughs> did they mean a lot to you as far as writing goes, or is it just something else? The the, the teacher or the stories? Sorry. Uh, no, that's fine. The teacher. Um, wh- why are they so particularly invested? Oh, they just, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's an old teacher, Mr. Moose, John Moose. He, he got, he got into Moose. it. Yeah, he got into it, and he was like, "When's the next one coming out?" What's it, between four and five? He was, and I mean, I, I tried to kind of like he hasn't he hasn't asked too much about uh, Lily um, because you know I I told him pretty uh, hey like pretty upfront like hey I'm not done writing it yet it's gonna be a little bit while but like he was he knew City of Blood was finished and he was like he, every now and then I just get an email like when, when's this coming like I, I need it man that's <laughs> but, awesome was it was super cool it means a lot to me uh, I bet. yeah this there was uh this one teacher that was paramount to my uh realization that writing is just what i'm meant to do at the age of 13 and uh i emailed her a couple years ago so this is like 10 years or 12 years after i graduated high school and uh she didn't remember me <laughs> that's cool that's awesome <laughs> no it sucked <laughs> Those teachers are the best. <laughs> what are you reading? Right now, what I'm reading is uh, I'm reading um, Salvation Spring by T.C. Parker. Nice. I've uh, really fallen rapturously in love with her work. I think her I think her prose is dynamite. Um, you can tell she puts a fuck ton of work into it. You know, you don't get that kind of level of craft and polish without dedicating a lot of time to your craft. Um, you know, I read Salt Salt Blood first, and I read Oppressive Feathers, and then I was like, well, there's one left. Uh, she was kind enough to send it to me for free, but I went ahead and bought it anyway. And <laughs> but, uh, I'll tell her. I guess the least I can do. Like, come on. If I can't throw a few bucks towards somebody who's, like, knocking my socks off, like, what the fuck good am I? So, <laughs> I, um, yeah, it's a weird Western horror cosmic um 
savoring it. You know, it's it's the book that I take out in the middle of the day when I kick it up underneath a tree, like for a while after reading or after sorry after writing. I like I kick it in the sun for a while with my dog. I read a chapter or two of that, let it simmer a little bit. I'm also rereading um, Christine by Stephen King. Uh, I read that in the morning a little bit before writing as I'm kind of waking up and stuff. I'm all, almost always rereading a Stephen King book. Um, and then I, yeah, and then I have like my afternoon and evening reading and she is kind of taken up the last, you know, month or so of it. I'm not, um, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll start reading a lot like more once I finish volume six, but, uh, right now it's, it's all kind of just spread out and balanced out. I've got a little bit here, a little bit there and so on. So what about you two? What about you, Brandon? I am uh, I, I'm, I'm holding back a little bit because we're recording like 17 episodes this week, so I'm just going to give one. Uh, I am reading Hell Hollow by uh, Ronald Kelly. Nice. Um, and, you know, we, we read Fear earlier this year, and just, you know, anybody who will listen, we're shouting read Fear. But, you know, the, <laughs> the biggest, one of the, I think the biggest reason is I love the way Ronald Kelly writes kids and you got another like 12 year old protagonist in this one in, you know, a small Tennessee town. This time it's a city kid, you know, uh, spending the summer in a, you know, kind of backwoods Tennessee town. And it's just, it's, it's what this guy thrives on. So I'm about a hundred pages in and, um, I'm loving it as I knew I would. Patrick. I thought Daniel was going to say up. something. Oh, I just said I need to check him out. I haven't read Kelly. Fear. <laughs> Here's the one to start with. Here's okay. the one. <laughs> we started out reading the Essential Six stuff that came out with the Silver Shamrock last year. It's a collection from the early 90s to uh, like modern uh, stuff. It's, it's covering some splatterpunk material. And the neat thing is, is he does a forward where he explains why certain things are extreme. Uh, and it's because they were trying to one-up each other. Him and the other writers. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, so I'll keep it to one. Um, I am starting John C. Foster's Rooster through Grey Matter Press tomorrow. I don't know what it's about, but I know I'm going to read it tomorrow. <laughs> cool. Nice. And uh, listeners, if you are interested in checking out some Dead Headspace merchandise, go to deadheadspace.com. You can check out some shirts, mugs, and so forth, or you can read some articles or reviews. Uh, gentlemen, final thoughts. Final thoughts, Daniel. Well, I mean, it's been a pleasure... Uh, chatting with you too I, I means a lot you having me on here absolutely not a problem um brennan final thoughts uh it, we appreciate your time you know we, we've wanted to have you on for for a while uh like i said i've been reading the nightmare series since since number one came out and uh we've we've wanted to pick your brain for you know since we started the show so i'm glad we were finally able to make it happen hell yeah cheers thank you I just echo what Brennan said, and uh, for the listeners, just check out the Nightmare Lane Chronicles. But for those that don't know, where can they follow you? Uh, yeah, I'm on um, Twitter, uh, at DBH Fiction. 
that's where I spend, uh, you know, like most of my social media haunting hours. Um, Instagram, much less frequently um, am I visible there, but I do post lots of pictures of my dog, both places actually. So, but yeah, that's that's what you see from me on Instagram more often is like my dog. That's that's <laughs> funny. Yeah, I do pet pictures. To pigs and dogs myself. <laughs> yeah, I love that you have pigs. That's so cool. They're so smart and yeah, like emotionally intelligent. Yeah, uh, this might sound like a dick comic, but it's kind of fucking annoying early in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> She's all uh, making this <laughs> noise at uh, 6 o'clock. It's like, shut the fuck up. Give me another hour. <laughs> she just wants rubs, and I get it. Yeah, it happens, man. Sometimes you just need rubs. Like, Hal just, like, starts cuddling harder with me, like, when he's ready to get up in the morning. Like, he'll, he'll like, lay his head on my face or, like, lay his head on my back or, uh-huh. like, he's, he's a goober. That's nice. I mean, that's nice with dogs. With cats, my experience is you wake up and they uh, swat you in the face. Yeah. claws. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I know. You're a guard dog. You are. You're big and tough. It seems like a lot of authors have cats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe they're a little more peaceful sometimes. I don't know, man. I don't, like, I don't I don't really like cats. I'd forget about it. There we go. I finally said it, Brandon. I don't fucking like cats. <laughs> <laughs> and we're canceled. Easily <laughs> <laughs> right, will never come back. <laughs> <laughs> he has a contract. He's... <laughs> We signed it. Uh, he has to come back at least once every so often and now as a guest host. So, uh, Daniel, thank you for your time. Brennan, thank you for being my co-host per usual. I uh, appreciate it. And listeners, you have many choices in podcasts. Thank you for picking us. Deadhead space. Let's jump to what got you into reading. No, that's not right at all. That's not that's not the question at all. <laughs> oh man, what are you reading? <laughs> what am I reading? There's a, there's a blooper. <laughs> <laughs>